0: I think contract employment is a genius way to try things out. I also think it's a place where churches can get in deep, deep water if they're not careful to make sure that what they're hiring really is contract 1099 labor under us law.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Law & Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Josh, this is the first part of our two-part episode with William Vanderblumen, and I'm really excited about this interview that you did with him. Kind of share a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, you know, this is one of those areas uh, where churches really need to be paying a whole lot of attention because, you know, Richard Hammer uh, every year puts out this top five reasons why churches are in court uh, every year. And so for the first time uh, in recent history, at least, at least first time that I've been tracking it, employment was in the top five uh, reasons why churches go to court. Uh, and so we, we are seeing courts uh, become a lot more comfortable getting involved in in church employment disputes uh, Used to they would not be uh, All that comfortable getting involved in that Because of some religious liberty and religious freedom issues But now they're much more comfortable Getting involved in those And so we need to be paying attention to our employment practices And, and so that's important And one of the things that we can really take away From this first episode And even some from the second episode Is the, the concept of accuracy In that we need to be accurate And we need to be thorough And we need to be honest In just about every part of this uh, life cycle of an employee in the church, and so pay special attention to that as we as we uh, visit with uh, William Vanderblumen and and just the need for accuracy uh, in our employment relationships.
1: I completely agree, and we're going to jump into that first part interview right now, but make sure you come back next week for that second part.
2: Well, today our guest is William Vanderblumen from the Vanderblumen Search Group. Uh, William has combined over 15 years of ministry experience as a senior pastor with uh, the best practices of executive search to provide a faith based organization with a unique offering, and that is a deep understanding of the local church and theology uh, with the very best knowledge and practices of professional executive search. Prior to his founding of the Vanderblumen Search Group, William studied executive search under uh, a mentor with over 25 years executive search experience at the highest level, and his learning taught him the very best in corporate practices. William also has experience as a manager in human resources and a Fortune 200 company where he focused on integration of corporate culture and succession planning. All of these experiences come together with his pastoral work to form a unique gift for helping churches and ministries connect with the right people. Prior to executive search, William led growth and innovation in churches in North Carolina, Alabama, and Houston. During his time in Alabama, William had the chance to help rebuild and relocate an ailing congregation and lead them to new levels of growth. At 31, he was elected senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Houston, which is a church of about 5,000 adults and 1,500 children. William is regularly invited to speak across the country in both church services and as a resource to churches and conferences on leadership. His book Next Pastoral Succession that Works on Effective Pastoral Leadership and Succession was released through Baker Books in September of 2014, and his book Search, the Pastoral Search Committee Handbook, was released through B&H Books in June of 2016. His latest book is Culture Wins, The Roadmap to an Irresistible Workplace, and is released through Savio Republic. You can get all of those books in the show notes. William Hold degrees from Wake Forest University and the Princeton Theological Seminary, and we are very grateful to have him on. William, welcome.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Josh. Appreciate you having me on. That was a whole lot of talk, and I'm not sure it's all deserved, but uh, appreciate it.
2: <laughs> well, uh, you, you have certainly uh, built the organization that is the gold standard in church executive search and, and the church employment search, and so we are pleased to uh, just gain from some of your experience. I just want to jump in and ask you a few questions, if you don't sure. mind. The, the first thing I'd like to talk through, really in this particular episode, we're going to do another one, and so this is going to be part one and part two for the, the listeners out there, but what we're going to talk through today are just working through that, that preliminary process of deciding that we're going to hire people, and so my first question for you would be, what are some things that churches need to consider when they are drafting up a job description?
0: Accuracy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, let me unpack that a little bit. I think, uh, I think church hiring is kind of what I remember during bad high school dating. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, everybody kind of, I, I, I did this so I can, I can say it authentically. Everybody kind of tries to look better than they really are. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, I'd go lift weights and do push-ups right before picking up the day or i'd you know <laughs> make sure the car is super clean i didn't have a super, a really cool car in fact i sh- shared a station wagon Did with my mother car? for a while which was really quite the chick magnet the wood panel <laughs> threw them out but uh you know you you'd try and drive something cooler than what you were you'd maybe some guys wax the car to lift weights and then you know, on the female side, you get women who, if it's a big date, they don't eat for three days before, and they put on a dress and everyone. And it's just this this exercise in trying to look better than you really are. And churches fall into that over and over and over. I, I tell folks, whether it's a church I'm working with, because churches hire us to find their pastoral staff, right? That's the, the, the one sentence of what we do. And when I'm working with a church uh, and I'm talking to them about candidates, I, I say this line. I say the same thing to candidates when I'm interviewing about the church. I said my job in this equation, my my role, I think, is to make sure you don't walk down the aisle with Rachel and wake up next to Leah. Yeah. <laughs> if you know if you know the Old Testament story where Jacob, you know, walks down the aisle, gets married to Rachel, and whoops, in the morning, oh, that's not what I signed up for. So right. so so for us, you know, when we're working with churches, we're like, just be honest. Oh, we can't be honest because we haven't had a child in the nursery in 15 years. Well, yes, you can. You know, or we couldn't be honest to say that we had some real congregational turbulence when the last senior pastor left. Well, yes, you can. You don't have to tell everything of your dirty laundry. I mean, it's such a such an interesting thing. Um, You'll appreciate this as a lawyer. Uh, My dad is an attorney and in a small town. Like, think about Mayberry. It's like that, right? right. So there's one big stoplight, okay? Yep. Smith's Crossroads. It's the one place where all the accidents are. So it's one <laughs> place where all the court cases are. And, and there's an old school filling station, not even like gas station, right? right. And Amos uh, is the guy in overalls with about three teeth that stands out there and takes care of cars. And so Amos sees all of the wrecks, right? Right. And so Amos is the star witness, all the time in the courtroom. And uh, Amos, Amos, education was not a a high value for Amos growing up. So uh, horse sense, smart, but not school sense. So dad was getting him ready for a trial one time. And, you know, he said, Amos, you know, what'd you see? I don't remember. What'd you, I don't remember. And, and dad's like, Amos, you got it. You, you got to tell the truth. I mean, you can't just clam up. So what'd you see? Well, then Amos shares way too much that screws up dad's case, right? So dad goes through this long legal mumble jumbo about, you know, you tell the truth, but don't overshare and da-da-da-da-da, long thing. And, And Amos looked at dad and said, so Mr. Bruce, what I hear you saying is always tell the truth. Just don't always be a telling it. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's like the first year of law school in one sentence so so with church job descriptions always tell the truth just don't always be telling it you don't have to tell everything of your dirty laundry but tell some of it because here's here's the thing you worry as a church that if you write a job description with something that's not perfect you're going to scare off candidates right if you're looking for pastors Pastors got into the ministry to be a part of helping rebuild a broken world. They don't yeah. expect churches to be perfect. In fact, they, they're probably you know kind of sniffing around your job description to see are they really telling me what's real. Yeah. And and I think what I've learned about pastoral candidates is they can handle almost anything from a church except surprises. Yeah. So yeah. so if you can just put it out there and be accurate. I think you'll win over a lot of candidates and and in the recruiting process you'll actually have more candidates interested than not. The other thing about accuracy is uh, be accurate with your numbers be accurate with the job description be accurate with what the job description says the person's actually going to have to do right like there's you you probably know this in governance but there's what's on paper and then there's what's real. Yeah. And so, you know, if it's, don't just write other duties as necessary. If it's, you know, there's the prayer breakfast with 10 95 year old men and you have to go to it every Tuesday at five thirty in the morning, or you're going to have a real problem, put it in the job description. Yeah. well that's not a major responsibility. Yeah. But if you don't do it, would you get in big trouble? Yes. Then put it in the job description. So if I had a word to boil down everything I just said,
2: it's just accuracy, yeah. sober accuracy. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. You know, we're we're kind of in a day and age where churches are finding themselves in court a lot more. Matter of fact, this morning, I actually read uh, a case getting ready for another podcast episode we're going to do uh, in which a church uh, was sued by a volunteer who was then hired uh, for not getting paid. And, and there's, uh, you, you know, a kind of some uh, back and forth in legal circles about whether churches are subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act, which governs how people get paid and how you classify those, those job descriptions. And, you know, a lot of times, yes, churches are exempt from that, but a lot of times they're not. You're That's operating right. a, you know, operating a school, or, um, you know, if you're regularly sending people out of state on mission trips, uh, if you're regularly on Amazon or uh, you know Walmart.com buying supplies for the church, you know, napkins and paper plates and whatnot, all of those things subject you to interstate commerce, and now you're in a situation where you very well could be considered an enterprise, quote unquote, that's the, the legal language there, uh, that would subject you to the Fair Labor Standards Act. And even if you don't, if your employees are regularly going out there and engaging in interstate commerce, then they individually can be subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act. I, and, I can't
0: believe I'm going to say this, Josh, but I think I might be more careful than the attorney on this. Oh, <laughs> I'd even write it in farther because where I hear FLSA stuff getting thrown around, you know, there was this push to raise minimum wage mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was going to kill the FLSA. You know, you were going to go from a what, like a $29,000 minimum salary to somewhere in the fifties, which was just going to like children's pastors that are part-time or I mean, it was just not going to be a good situation and it got to stay. It, I guess it could be undone, uh, but we wrote a big, article on that. I, we can put that link in the show notes if that's helpful to you all. Uh, we had an attorney friend write it, and, and it's not legal advice, and it's not binding, and all of the different little caveats you have to throw. But, but what, we discover, what we discovered in studying this is, you know, the place the churches really make themselves vulnerable to FLSA standards yeah. is when you expect your employees to volunteer in the church. Yep. And when it's Something you expect, but it's not written down in the job description or in the employee handbook. This is not paid. It's just part of being the church community. We expect this out of our members, so we expect at least this much out of our staff. That's very normal expectations, but having it written down will probably buy you some cover if you end up in that kind of situation.
2: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and and ultimately, what we don't want if we end up in court is what's on paper and what's real. Uh, as, you, as you said earlier, we want what's on paper to be what you're actually doing, and ultimately, when you get to the point where you have to classify... Um, a job when you have to classify that and, and say, here's whether it's going to be exempt or not exempt or contract or whatnot. If if you called me, that's the first thing I'm going to ask for is the job description. And if I don't have an accurate job description, I can't give you accurate uh, advice on how to classify that. So I think that's uh, right on point. We need accurate uh, job descriptions. And, and uh, <laughs> I get some pushback when I tell churches that same thing. Don't put other tasks as assigned in there. Uh, I, I get pushback on it, but that's that's exactly the truth. We we need to be very, very specific and very accurate. So let me jump into uh, kind of this process by which, okay, you've got a candidate now and you're starting to do your due diligence. And one of the obstacles that we're seeing a lot among a lot of congregational churches uh, that that really hone in on that autonomy of the local church is that it's difficult for them to hire staff that has been unknowingly accused of wrongdoing at a prior church. Either there's been sexual misconduct or embezzlement or something like that. And there's a lot of reluctance uh, in bringing this in a lot from the business community who, who tend to staff personnel committees and search committees. Uh, their churches are getting a lot of advice not to ask um, or not to give, excuse me. They're, not, they're getting advice not to give uh, reviews to future employee uh, employees, um, or to future uh, employers of past employees. That's a really weird way to say that, but ultimately what are you seeing and and what are you telling churches in terms of calling uh, prior churches uh, and trying to get reference checks? And then, you know, what are you seeing and hearing on uh, how churches uh, can respond to requests for a reference check?
0: Sure. Well, we work all over the world. So the law is very different, even state to state, but then you get in other countries and it's a whole different situation. So it's all very contextual. Uh, but, but we try and take the most cautious approach of the places we work so that it's a blanket of everything. Right. And our advice to churches is if you're providing a reference for a former employee, it's best to just not say much. I, yeah. it, it, sorry, but yes, they worked here. They worked here from this date to this date. And well, can I, no, you can't, I, I can't really go into that. Now, one place that we think that can be solved, okay, if you have to let somebody go, and I'm I'm not talking about they got put in a squad car and let off. But if you have to let somebody go, and you're going to offer a severance package, or a love offering, or whatever you want to call it, paper that up, yep, and and have a real separation agreement. We actually have a, a kind of a boilerplate. It, it's totally kosher in Texas. Outside of Texas, you'd have to get an attorney in your in your state to check it. Or Josh, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, it, it's separation agreement, and and in Texas, you, there's a different one if the employee is 40 or under uh, than 41 or over because of yeah. case law. But anyway, in that separation agreement, which we can send you for free, I mean, Josh just put our email in the show notes, and we'll we'll send it. But uh, in that employment, in that separation agreement, uh, so you're going to pay this person this much overtime, and they're going to agree not to talk, and their family's going to agree not to talk or post on social media. Da, 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 da. Okay. What extended leverage does the church then have? Like once the money's paid out, what keeps them from going all sideways? We put a clause in that separation agreement that um, the the employee that's leaving is signing a waiver, allowing the church to talk about their employment while they were there. So now you have papered up a, I can talk to people about what things were like when you were here which if you were a good employee is awesome, but if you're under a separation agreement, a lot of times there's angst. So from a church protecting itself side, if you're ever going to pay separation agreements out or severance or love offerings, paper it up with a good document that gives you some future protection and allows you to talk about uh, the things that may have led to a termination or or an untimely departure.
1: Let's take a quick break and talk about our featured resource this week. Josh, what is it? Yeah, today's featured resource
2: is the Vanderblumen Search Group. At VanderBlumen, your mission drives their mission. What started out as an idea at Mr. VanderBlumen's dining room table is now a company of 40 people that serves teams with a greater purpose around the globe by aligning their people's solutions. Hire the right people, pay them well, plan for the future, and build a culture that lasts. Learn more at vanderblumen.com.
1: All right, let's jump back into the interview.
0: So another thing that we're seeing on the side of uh, how do you know, so you're interviewing somebody, you can't get the reference to talk about it. You can't, you know, I heard the question and I may have misheard it, but but I think you said, how do you know if someone's ever been accused of? Mm -hmm. And accused and convicted are two totally different situations. Yeah. now, if you're doing children's pastor and they've been accused of any wrongdoing with children, that may be enough to throw up a flag. But I'd, I'd be careful to say accused and convicted. Uh, one thing that we do with candidates, you know what we found out, Josh, is I can't keep liars from lying. Yep, It's like it doesn't work. And they won't let me waterboard candidates anymore. So, <laughs> So what do you do? Well, we actually have a pretty ironclad document that candidates sign at the end of an interview before we'll give them to a church that says I have told you everything that might keep me from getting hired that might embarrass the church if it came out later that might and it's th- 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 so basically they're signing their name on a document that if something comes out later it is no longer on us and it is no longer on the church they lied during the interview and and I can't keep liars from lying, but you can yeah. make it painful for liars to lie, and and that uh, sometimes
2: helps things come out. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's some great advice, and you know I'm I, I talk to churches often about that. They they'll give me call just on that particular issue and that's one of the first things I'm telling him is get a severance agreement uh you know and uh, just recently was working with one where there was a termination for cause uh and the personnel committee was a little bit reluctant to do severance under that circumstance because mm-hmm. a lot of local businesses and, and corporations will say you get severance for lay off you don't get severance if you uh are, are terminated for cause and that's been my response the entire time is listen if you can get that severance agreement and you can, like you say, paper it up and condition that continued payment on things like uh, no social, you know, don't talk about the church on social media, waiving your right to sue under all of the different em- employment regulations that are out there that churches can be subject to and so forth, then it's really a win-win. And it shows a little bit of grace. You know, a lot of times th- these employees have families that are relying on that paycheck. And that's right. think about the family and think about the children in that home that are going to be without a paycheck uh, for a little while if we don't pay some sort of severance. And so I the think the very f- gracious way to
0: put it, and I, I tell people be twice as generous as you think you need to be in severance. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of that is I would rather end up in trouble with Jesus for being too generous than too stingy. That's right. Okay? So like there's that. Okay. Then if you want to take all of the spiritual and the grace and the generosity out and just think business wise, don't think of it. So, so I talk to church. It's like, why should we pay them three months salary when they didn't do anything around here or when they ran kids off, or when they were mean to the volunteers or when they, whatever the thing is, you know, short of a felony. And, and I say, you know, don't, don't think of it as paying them. Think of it as buying insurance. That's all. Yeah. You're just buying an insurance policy and it really doesn't take much because if the person's not going to have any money, some money is almost always better than no money and they will sign. So, be twice as generous as you think you need to be
2: and view it as insurance and not just paying a person off. Yeah, that, that's a really great point. Uh, th- those are some uh, arrows that I'm going to put in my quiver. Uh, <laughs> that's just some really great advice. So, um, so you know, let's, let's go into this uh, situation where, okay, you've got a candidate, you've properly vetted them, um, and now churches are kind of getting into a position. And I've worked with several churches who have decided that they wanted to do a contract. Uh, employment rather than doing at-will employment, that they wanted a, a contract that governed that relationship. Um, what are you seeing in your field, and what are some pros and cons of that that you see from your chair? Well,
0: I, I see uh, this is going to sound counterintuitive because churches call us when they need help finding staff, so why would I give you tips to finding staff on your own? Well, <laughs> you know, my goal is to see the church move farther and faster Right and, and, and I think the biggest impediment to the church moving farther and faster is people problems on staff. It's, yeah. it's just, I don't know anything that slows things down more. So I, any way that happens, that's great. You know, we would love to help you find a pastor, but lots of times you can find people from within. And one way to find people from within is to hire them for a short-term assignment that is a terminal assignment. On a part-time basis, that's a contract. It's a 1099 relationship. Frankly, it's cheaper. You don't have to pay all the extras that come with a W-2 employee, and it and it gives you a clean way to look at things. We're doing this at our home church right now. We're in our uh, we go to a Methodist church in our neighborhood, and it's our 75th anniversary next year. And there's all kinds of stuff tied to what are we going to do for the birthday party for the church. And, and who are we going to call? you know, to call all the former pastors and get them to either come in or like, there's just a boatload of things to do. And the church is growing very quickly and nobody has time in their job description to do this. Yeah. So the church in its brilliance um, has hired a very capable member of the church to be part time and to work only until whatever it is next March or whenever the birthday is. And it's a 1099 relationship and you work on this terminal project. Now that a gets the project done, but B it gives them a free look at this person as a potential future hire. And like, you know, past performance is the best predictor of future performance. So watching them actually work, you know, that's when you know if you're getting Rachel and not Leah. Uh, So uh, I, I think contract employment is a genius way to try things out. I also think it's a place where churches can get in deep, deep water if they're not careful Yep. to make sure that what they're hiring really is contract 1099 labor under US law. This you, you're you're the lawyer I'm not, but my understanding is this is a very hazy area. There's like 37 questions you have to ask yourself to see if this is a 1099 or should be a W2. And there's no set number like if you answered 18 of them yes or 20 you just need to ask yourself that and the IRS can come in and say we think you're not meeting these criteria enough. There's no real uh, 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 quantitative way to answer that question. You almost have to take the default of saying, I bet they're a W-2. The, the the quickest way I know to measure that is, are you telling someone where they have to be and when they have to be there? Right. That almost always results in a W-2 and not a contract employee. But, but those 37 questions, I'm sure you can Google around and find them. We, we've had to ask them ourselves over the years when we've gone from, Start up with one person and my dog to 1099s that help us a little bit, to actual W-2s, which cost more money, but, but uh, boy, better safe than sorry on that one.
2: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, you, you know, there are some really good reasons that I've heard from churches when they start talking about, uh, you know, a, a, a contract labor versus at-will uh, employment. And ultimately, even if they're going to issue a w- and not a 1099, which I agree with you. That's certainly the default that you need to look at uh, so that we don't get into tax trouble. Uh, but even if they're going to do a W-2, go ahead and get a, a contract on the front end. It saves, the, you know, severance on the back end. You've already got that written into the agreement. You don't have to have those talks and negotiations on the back end. You know, a lot of times if uh, you've got a, a church that's afraid of a split, um, you know, or they've gone through that in the recent past, or there's, you know, grumblings of it now that they'll say, listen, we don't want you to pastor anywhere else within, you know, 20 miles of here for two years or whatnot, and, and going ahead and putting some of that stuff in there, going ahead and making it a term so that they can build their succession planning uh, by default into, into the plans that they're having right now and can just think a little bit long, more long term. And so I've heard some great reasons, and it's just a matter of trying to to break those things down. So, uh, boy, William, we really appreciate you on here. Do you have any last thoughts on on some of the things we've talked about today?
0: Well, I'd just say, Josh, that just to piggyback on this last thing, you know, you've got contract versus W-2, but then you've got the idea of, is there a written employment agreement when you when you start out? So we got a call, and Josh, I, I shouldn't say this because this is embarrassing, but it was probably five years ago, so we've been doing this 11 years, so we're six years in, and we got a call from a ch- church, a very large Presbyterian church that was uh, hiring their new pastor. They knew who they were hiring, so they didn't they didn't call us for that, but they're like, can you help us with the employment agreement? Surely you've done a thousand of these over the years. And we started looking around and we realized there are not that many churches that actually have these. Yeah. Like, It's not a normal thing to have a real employment agreement. And so we've started collecting them. So we now do have quite a few of them. Uh, and most of them are pretty flimsy. So e- even down to like, does the pastor own the sermons or does the church own the sermons? Like there's just a million little things where you really, it is worth it to hire an attorney to help with an employment agreement. Cause what do they say? Good paper makes good
2: friends, right? <laughs> right. Right. That certainly uh, helps everybody know what to expect. If it's, if it's done well, if it's not done well, you're going to get yourself into trouble. So, Well, that's been uh, another episode of Law & Church. I look forward to next week when we have part two of this segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about actually making that on board and making that higher and go all the way through termination. So, William, thank you so much for being with us today. We look forward to next week. Great.
1: Wow, Josh, so much good information here. And that's just the first part of our two-part interview. Um, What are kind of your final thoughts on that? You know, one of the things
2: I really loved about this particular interview was William's ideas regarding uh, contract employment, and and we'll talk about it some more uh, in the next episode as well. But, you know, this idea of, you know, when we get into a situation where we need to, to hire somebody and we're not exactly sure whether they're going to be a great fit, instead of hiring them as an employee, hire them for a project. Uh, maybe you hire an interim pastor, or maybe you hire a summer intern or a fall intern, uh, and, and you automatically in that situation have a sell-by date uh, on that relationship. And you can observe and watch and get to know each other and, and kind of test the waters uh, while that's going on. And if it's a great cultural fit and they're going to be a great staff member for your church, then at that point, make the hire. Uh, and you can have them as a, as a long-term employee. Um, but if it's It's not when you get to the end of that term or the end of that project, there aren't any hard feelings because everybody went into it knowing again that there was this sell-by date and that there was a already an, an end date in mind when the the whole employment relationship started so i think that's a great idea it's a really interesting way of kind of testing those waters and you don't have to do a probationary period and you don't have to uh you know do any of these uh really difficult things and have some of these really difficult conversations uh if early on in that relationship we can tell it's just not going to work out
1: Josh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on at Church General Council.
2: Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about our do-it-yourself suite, the DIY suite. You know, this is the same software that is available in our client suite. Uh, The only difference is it just doesn't include access to an attorney. Uh, A lot of churches want to do things on their own. Uh, There are a lot of churches that have the know-how to systematize their processes. They just don't have the proper resources in place to get it to where everybody who needs to have access to those policies and processes have it. So uh, what, what we can do is we can provide our, Uh, policy manual to you that you can go in and customize just without legal access. Uh, That is available to churches, and it's half the normal price for churches. You just need to use promo code CHURCHNP when you sign up for it. That's CHURCHNP uh, for nonprofit. And ultimately what you can do, you can get out there, you'll assign and automate all of your training of your staff and volunteers based on the processes for legal issues, for personnel, whatever, all the way going to just how you do ministry. Uh, You can assign that and automate the training on that. You can document every process you've got. There are are ways that you can integrate this with other apps that you might use, like Slack and uh, Constant Contact and so forth. There's so much you can do with this, so go learn more at churchgeneralcouncil.com.
1: Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there.
2: And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will
1: see you next week.